Hello and welcome to Euractiv's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractiv's Agri-Food News Team. So this week we spoke with Viola von Kramen, who is a Green MEP, about an interesting report that came out this week um, that was commissioned by the Greens Group about misuse of EU agricultural subsidies in certain Central and Eastern European countries. Um, so there was an investigation and looked into the use of these EU agricultural funds in Bulgaria, the Czech Republic, Hungary, Slovakia and Romania. So we're here today with Green MEP Viola von Kramen from the Budgetary Control Committee, um, who's here to talk a little bit about this new report that was released from the Greens today um, about the misuse of agricultural funds um, in Central and Eastern European countries. So welcome, Viola, to the podcast. Thanks a lot for having me. So I wondered if you could kickstart this this discussion for our listeners, give a quick summary of the report. What exactly did this report look into? What were the main takeaway messages from this report? Well, we see from the budgetary side of the European Union that we spend for decades now a lot of money uh, and a lot of direct payments uh, from the so-called common agriculture policy to landowners. And what we especially are concerned about is that uh, in some of the countries, especially in, let's say, Central and Eastern Europe, uh, member states of the European Union, uh, this money goes into the hands of a few. And uh, those people are normally not small farmers, but these are large corporations. These are rich businessmen with perfect uh, relations and, and perfect uh, personal relation towards politicians. And even these are the politicians themselves. So what we see during the last decades, since they have um, become members of the European Union, uh, that there was, a, let's say, an accumulation of land, either in terms of ownership or leasing, um, in, in, in the hands of a few. And the access for land is very restricted to ordinary farmers and to active farmers, to small producers. And this cannot be in the interest of the taxpayers of the European Union. And this question is more a, a curiosity uh, from us. Is there a reason why you decide to to look into these uh, issues now? I mean, maybe there's a concern that the pandemic has kind of taken the attention off of these issues or, or you know, are they sleeping a bit under the radar, according to you? Actually, since I studied agriculture, I do observe the situation in these countries for a long time. The restructuring of the uh, agriculture in those countries is of a bigger concern of many people. But what we see in these countries as well, and this comes on top, is a very weak governance and not uh, sufficient checks and balancing coming from, let's say, independent journalists, coming from opposition parties, coming from independent authorities come it from anyone and so what we see is a very unhealthy mixture of strong politicians rich businessmen coming together with these incentives 
from the direct payments from the common agriculture policy. And that all together really shows us in this study, which we have commissioned now, that in many of the member states, and we see the same phenomenon, we see that in the agriculture sector, uh, the land is used not for, um, as we would like to see it, a diverse um, climate protective uh, agriculture, but rather as an investment object uh, for a few people in those countries. Hmm. And, you know, we've been here many times before. You said that you followed this over many years. There's been a number of kind of high profile investigations into the misuse of these subsidies in, in these countries. You know, there was the famous New York Times um, investigation just over a year ago, which had a lot of attention. But I'm wondering, did the report find that anything much had changed in the meantime from when there was all this noise you know, just over a year ago, was there any kind of improvements that was found um, since, since this investigation? That's uh, in terms of real changes a little bit too quick. I mean, we see that still uh, Andrei Babish, who is the current prime minister in, in the Czech Republic, is still in power and is still the second richest uh, person in the Czech Republic, while he's also the biggest owners or the biggest landholders, not just in the Czech Republic, uh, but also in, in, in some of the other countries where we have subcontractors or individual uh, companies um, related to his agrofert uh, holding. And um, for us, it is of utmost importance uh, to urge uh, the commission uh, to, to disclose the final beneficiaries of this direct payments. Um, so this would be a, a major step forward. But we see, for example, in Slovakia, where we had this big scandal with the paying agencies uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, at that, that time, my colleagues from the um, Budget Control Committee went to Slovakia twice that they have adapted some of the recommendations from the Commission, but of course we have to keep a very close eye on this. This is all not sufficient and we have to follow it much more closely. While this is called a shared management, but we see that the Commission is mainly absent in this so-called shared management. And this would be our second request uh, if you call it shared management, if you give a lot of money to the member states, uh, you have to make sure that your checks and balances are in place and that you get uh, the information you need where the money ends up. And speaking about change, what does the report outline uh, in terms of you know what is needed for meaningful change in this area, you mentioned, for instance, the uh, the issue with uh, with Babish. But I mean, uh, what would you suggest uh, to do? First of all, uh, we have to work on disclose the information which money goes to which final beneficiary, and not just as an institution, as an entity, but also who then. Uh, uh, benefits from from this money and this must be not a voluntary um, uh, thing this must be an obligatory um, uh, issue um, or request by the commission so we have to have access 
from the politician side, but also from the uh, media side, that we can have an overview uh, which uh, direct payments from the agriculture funds goes to, to which company, to which individuals, and so on and so forth. This would be a major step forward. So far, we have in some respect, in some of the countries, there was limited access, but very hidden, very complicated, not easy to find out and to do research on, a very um, not standardized uh, system. So um, this would be one, uh, let's say, overall request. And then, of course, uh, we could also work on a more digital approach with uh, big data, with uh, artificial intelligence to better find out how this distortion in the land market in, in those member states work and where especially the misuse of funds is taking place. But for all this, we need the data and we need to uh, require, uh, or the commission has to require this from the member states. And the report also raised these concerns over the fact that obviously with the new cap reform, um, it is moving to kind of renationalize the cap or at least give member states more flexibility. Um, and the, the report raised some concerns that this might actually, um, you know, increase these kind of problems in the future. What is your perspective on this? Do you think that this is a problem? Absolutely. This is a big concern from many of my, my colleagues, experts from the agriculture uh, sector that actually uh, we get even less, uh, let's say, standardized information uh, that uh, the competences on the national level, on the member states level will increase instead of um, being controlled or, or having a, a, a tighter scrutiny from the European Union side or from the Commission side. So that's a big negative, that's a big minus. And we will see um, how we're gonna manage that from the budgetary control committee to um, jump into this, let's say, next loophole of this so-called cap reform. In other news this week, there was a proposal coming from uh, the Committee of the Regions. The Committee of Regions is an EU institution uh, with an advisory role. So it means that um, its function is to basically uh, give advisory opinion on the policy dossiers to the lawmakers. So basically the European Council and the European Parliament. And uh, this Committee of the Regions this week came up with this idea uh, during uh, the Euro-Mediterranean Regional and Local Assembly uh, Plenary, uh, as I said, with this idea of a food label that will actually consider if a product comes from the Mediterranean countries, and if it belongs to the so-called Mediterranean diet. So the Mediterranean diet is the one inspired by the dietary habits of uh, Greece, uh, southern Italy, and Spain as well. And it's, it's considered uh, one of the uh, most complete diet. It consists of a large intake of uh, olive oil, unrefined cereals, fruits, vegetables, with only a moderate amount of fish, dairy and wine, as well as limited red meat and, and poultry. So the issue is interesting because 
I mean, we're all aware of the fact that the European Commission is preparing an EU-wide um, food labeling proposal. So basically an harmonized framework in order to have the same uh, food label uh, all across Europe, which is quite important if you consider that we are living uh, and we're buying, we're purchasing goods in a single market. So having differences in the uh, label on our food stuff, it could actually fragment it this single market. So uh, the European Commission is assessing the several proposals in terms of, of this new EU-wide framework. I mean, one of the best candidates um, is the color-coded Nutri-Score. Uh, the Nutri-Score was um, conceived by uh, some French scientists and it, it basically converts the nutritional value of products into a code consisting of five letters, so from A to E, and each with its own traffic light color. Uh, I mean, if, if you live in Belgium or in France or even in Germany, you already uh, know um, how this looks like. Uh, what's the issue? I mean, the problem is that uh, Italians in particular argue that Nutri-Score is biased against the Mediterranean diet. So, because it, it assigns a low score to foods uh, with high energy content, uh, high quantity of sugar or salt, and um, this, for instance, will affect uh, one of the main components of the Mediterranean diet, the olive oil. For instance, the olive oil is classified with the letter D and the color orange. This newcomer in the in the food labeling fray, uh, the Mediterranean diet label, uh, could actually cope with the problems uh, caused by uh, the Nutri-Score, or at least this is the intention of the main proponent. Is the uh, is a member of the committee of region, Agne uh, Rampal. She's also the deputy mayor of the French city Nice. And she basically, we contacted her and she basically said that uh, the Mediterranean diet is both the guarantor of health and an asset for, for the common identity in the, in the Mediterranean. And the Nutri-Score should fully reflect the importance of uh, both issues. According to her, if uh, the Nutri-Score is to be adopted as it stands at the European level, some of the most popular Mediterranean diet foods in the world will be uh, rated less healthy than Coca-Cola Zero. She believes that uh, the Nutri-Score has already shown relevance in terms of scientific of its scientific basis, but at the same time, uh, she recognizes that it discriminates uh, against healthy foods with high levels of saturated fats. That's what, what she said. Uh, the, the European Commission declined to answer um, if there is room for such regional indications in the framework they're uh, mulling over. It also declined to comment on whether there is a risk uh, for such a label. You know, the, as I said before, this kind of strong regional label could fragment the single market because... Uh, uh, that, that's what the Commission thinks. Any national attempt to regulate the matter uh, of food origin could actually threaten the uniformity, uh, you know, in, in how the food label look across the borders. 
So we're going to see in the next uh, weeks or months if uh, this uh, proposal could be considered by the Commission in uh, its um, EU-wide framework for food labelling. So this week saw a pretty tense exchange of views between the Commission and the European Parliament um, in the Agri-Committee meeting this week, which saw MEPs blast plans for the new direction of the agricultural uh, promotion policy. So what's going on? Well, as part of the objectives of the Farm to Fork strategy, which is the EU's flagship food policy, the Commission is undertaking a review of the EU promotional programme for agricultural products uh, with a view to enhancing its contribution to sustainable production and consumption. So the objective of the EU's agri-food promotion policy is to boost the competitiveness um, of EU products in and also outside of the EU. And it does this um, by raising consumer awareness of the merits of the EU's agricultural products. Um, and actually, there was a recent study about this that showed that the that this agri-food promotional program actually has a huge effect on the market. So there's a lot to play for here. But MEPs are not happy, basically, with the direction that this review is going. Uh, the summary of this, the take home message from this meeting is, you know, too much organic and not enough meat and alcohol. Um, so somewhat predictably, um, meat has uh, has come under fire in this promotional program. Um you know, meat has generally taken a battering over the past few months. There's a huge debate raging on about its place in the future of the EU's vision of a sustainable agricultural system. Um, so basically, in relation to this kind of promotional program, the farm to fork strategy specifies that the promotion program should support the most sustainable carbon efficient methods of livestock production. But this has more or less started to translate into uh, an exclusion of red meat in general from the policy. And there was this kind of quite rare display of um, cross-party unity. The MEPs, you know, from across the board all kind of condemning this move on the basis that, you know, this one of the biggest concerns actually was arguing that this risks pushing consumers towards the imports of unsustainable meat from elsewhere. So they talked about the Mercosur agreement. They talked about, you know, how basically, you know, this is going to make European farmers more uncompetitive in the face of meat coming in from elsewhere. Um, and there was also a lot of criticism reserved for the amount of the uh, ease promotional policy that's going to be reserved for organic. So about half the budget for the 2021 work programme or around 86 million euros is earmarked for campaigns to promote uh, organic products as well as sustainable agriculture and kind of the role of the agri-food sector in terms of the climate and the environment. And 49 million euros of this specifically is used to promote organic products alone. But MEPs were saying that, you know, this is maybe more ideological than it is reflective of the true market situation because they pointed out that approximately only 7% of land farmed in the EU is under organic production and also warned, again, this warning of trade and imports, saying that the EU is a net importer of organic produce. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of a lot of discontent going on here about this promotional policy, uh, MEP saying that it's based more on ideology than, than practice. Um, so I think not the last time that we'll be hearing about this issue.
And actually, on this kind of theme with MEPs raising the issues of, of the Mercosur agreement, this looming agreement, um, to which is not a secret that the farming sector is not really a fan of this uh, of this agreement, um, we actually spoke with Seja, that's the Young Farmers um, Association, about their perspective on this agreement and what it holds for the future of the farming sector. As co-legislators are initiating new discussions for the ratification of the EU-Mercosur trade agreement, the European Council of Young Farmers, also known as CESIA, wants to express its serious concerns as to the effects such a deal may have on the EU's most sensitive agricultural sectors and highlight the need for more coherence on the trade front in light of the challenges ahead. We, European Young Farmers, are willing to seize the opportunities given by international trade and call on EU decision makers not to make it a threat to the stability of their activities in the future. EU agriculture is a highly strategic sector already faced with many challenges. As young farmers, we do not perceive how this agreement will contribute to the strategic autonomy put forward in the new EU trade strategy, nor how it will enable us to increase our competitiveness, get a fair income, and thus enable our environmental and climate action. Siege also sees the EU Mercosur deal as a vector of confusion when it comes to the offer in food products for consumers. In their everyday activities, EU farmers strive to produce safe and sustainable food products respecting high quality and environmental standards to best respond to new consumer demands. If agri-food products, which are not coherent with EU standards, are imported, there is a risk that the added value created by EU farmers within the single market is ultimately undermined. We need a balanced trade policy which prevents EU products from unfair competition, and we ask the EU to not compromise on its standards and values. The EU does not only aim at achieving those objectives within the international market, but also at inspiring partners all over the world to follow collectively the same ambitious path. European Young Farmers recently published their vision for international trade. My name is Simon Vanke, I'm a Vice President of CESIA, and I warmly invite you to read it. The position paper is available on CESIA's website, www.cesia.eu. This week, the AgriFood podcast is produced by Euractiv's AgriFood team, Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Foote, with the support of Euractiv's producer, Evi Chiori. This podcast is also available on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Stitcher and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agriculture news from the EU. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening and see you next week.